Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And even as I say the title of the show, Ready for Retirement, I think for a lot of people, those words lead to a lot of uncertainty of how do I know if I'm ready for retirement? What will retirement look like? What do I need to do to get there? How do I have a strategy in place to take care of all the things I need to think about as I am preparing to be ready for retirement? Well, that's what we're going to focus on in today's episode is try to distill that question down, that retirement question down into its simplest essence so that you can at least have a great starting point when you're trying to determine if you're on track or not. The premise for today's episode comes from a listener question, and this listener, his name is also James, and James writes in and says this. He says, good afternoon. I've been listening to your podcast for over a year now. It is the best I've ever found. I love how you answer the question in detail. I would love to retire, but I'm not sure when it makes sense financially to do so. Currently, I live in Texas with my wife where we don't have income tax. We have $400,000 in a traditional IRA and $100,000 in a Roth IRA. We also have $500,000 equity in our primary house that we're planning to sell in mid-2024. I believe we can walk away with that equity as a married couple. Then we plan to move into our rental house that is paid off and valued at $750,000. Once we live in that house for two years, we can sell it and move away with most of that, correct? I have started trying to backdoor our Roth, but I make about 180000 per year and my wife makes about 85000 a year. If I can get the money into the Roth, we can move out of state to Arkansas if it made financial sense. I believe we need $80,000 a year to live uncomfortably. What is the best way to get there? End question. Well, James, thank you for that question. And that final piece, what is the best way to get there? That is the thing that is so uncertain for so many people. We've been living, we've been saving, we've been investing, we've been budgeting, we've been buying homes, we've been paying down debt. How do I get to this retirement place? There's so much. It's so daunting sometimes to look at where you are today and where you want to be in the future and understanding if you're on track to get there. But then number two, understand what's the most efficient way or the best way to get there. And that's what we're going to try to simplify today. This question comes from a listener and the username for this listener is Texas Trailblazer. And the title of the review is Seriously Amazing Show, five stars. And then the content says, as others have noted, Ready for Retirement addresses so many crucial topics, most of which I didn't know I needed to know. If you are even thinking about retiring early or otherwise, the show is a required listen. I can't wait to catch up so I can listen to the episodes again. Well, thank you very much, Texas Trailblazer. And I appreciate all of those of you who leave reviews. It's fun to see how many people get to listen to this. It's fun to see how many downloads the show is getting. And really, at the end of the day, the most important aspect is many people's retirements, their ability to retire comfortably is being materially impacted by their ability to have access to good information. So as you leave reviews, as you share this podcast with friends or family or coworkers, just know that it's helping to spread the reach and helping people to overcome what can be a really daunting task, which is trying to plan their retirement. So thank you so much for that review. If you are listening and would like to leave a review, would really appreciate you doing so. Also, if you are listening and want more content like this, be sure to check us out on YouTube under Root Financial Partners, where there's a lot of videos to complement what we're talking about here. So with that, let's jump into the episode today. So going back to James's question, so again, James, the listener, not James, me. James's question is all about, here's where I am today financially. What's the best way to get to retirement? Well, let's start by looking at James's situation. Today, he and his wife have a dual income of $265,000. We know that in retirement, they think it will cost $80,000 to live on. We know that today they own a home in Texas and they have $500,000 in that home. 
We know they also have a fully paid for rental property that's worth about $750,000. We know they have about $500,000 combined in IRAs and Roth IRAs. We also know they'll maybe be moving to a different state in retirement that potentially has a different tax structure. Now, their question is, what do we need to do to get to retirement? There's questions around what's the best place to save on an ongoing basis. There's questions around selling a property. And really, again, at the end of the day, what's the best way to get to retirement? Well, this is a big, daunting question for most people. And there's a lot of factors at play here. I'm not going to try to overlook that at all. But let's break this down into the simplest question possible, because that's going to be the best starting point. And then you can layer on the other questions or the other details. But when we look at it, let's break this down into the two fundamental components and then expand upon it from there. When you're looking at retirement, there are two main factors that will determine your success or your lack thereof. And those two factors are going to be what are your expenses in retirement and what will your income be in retirement? I know that sounds super simple and super basic, but really that's where it starts. And let's start to unpack that. Because as we look at taxes and withdrawal sequences and timing of Social Security, Medicare, all those things are very important to maximize your retirement. But the two most important pillars are knowing what your expenses will be and knowing that you can create an income to be able to meet those living expenses. So in a word, it's all about cash flow. Retirement is all about cash flow. And it doesn't matter if your net worth is 100000 or $100 million. Retirement fully comes down to your ability to generate sufficient income to cover your expenses without relying upon a paycheck from work. Now, this sounds super basic to start, but the reason I'm starting here is so many people equate it to almost a net worth question. When my net worth reaches a certain point, that's going to determine my ability to retire. Now, let's look at an example. And I like to use extreme and even simplistic examples on this podcast to illustrate some important points. But let's look at an extreme and simplistic example to illustrate how really it's not net worth that determines this, but it's your cash flow. Let's use that person, one person who has $100,000 net worth and one person who has $100 million net worth. Well, on the surface, the person with $100 million, they seem like they'd be in a much better position to retire if they chose to do so. And in all likelihood, they are. But let's look at this. Let's assume that person who has $100,000 net worth has $10,000 per month that they want to live on. Let's also assume that they have a $10,000 per month pension that covers all their needs. That's simple enough. Now, the second person with $100 million net worth, let's assume all of that $100 million is tied up in real estate and there is some development and expenses and mortgages and all the income that's being generated from that real estate, it perfectly covers the mortgages, the development costs, all the other costs there, but net cash flow is zero and they have no other income. Well, when you look at this, the person with $100,000 net worth, they're actually in a better position to retire because they have positive $10,000 per month cash flow coming in to meet their needs. The person with $100 million, they're not in a position to retire today. And again, I recognize this is almost an absurd example. Obviously, they could sell, they could refinance, they could rearrange some of that real estate to create income or pull out cash to live on. But at the end of the day, the reason I even mentioned this is to say that your ability to retire is far more dependent upon your cash flow than it is your net worth. So with that lens, let's now look at James's question. If we go back to his question of how do I get to retirement, what's the best way to get there? Let's start with these two fundamental pillars. And number one is expenses. Well, he mentioned that he thinks his expenses are $80,000 per year. So simple enough for this equation. What I will say, and it looks like James is already doing this, but what I will say is don't look at today's expenses, look at future expenses. I'm guessing James already did this because today his income is $265,000 combined between he and his wife, and his goal is to live on $80,000. So my guess is he's already adjusted out some of the expenses or costs they have today that they won't have in the future. This is probably by factoring in home sales, he won't have a mortgage, maybe it's factoring in 
the fact that today they might be saving quite a bit for retirement. And of course, in retirement, they'll no longer be saving for retirement. But just a quick side note, as we're going back to how overwhelming it could be to plan for retirement, one of the things that I find is most intimidating for a lot of people is they have this sense that they need to replace their current income. They say, yes, I know it's about cash flow, James. That's why we need to replace our current income. Well, keep in mind that for most people, your current income has to cover a whole lot more expenses than your retirement income will. And I just mentioned a couple, but typically those are things like mortgage. It's things like retirement contributions. It's typically more taxes because you have a higher income. And as your income goes down, your taxes go down. It might be because today there's also the cost of children or college that you're helping to pay for. There's a lot that you might be covering today that you won't cover in retirement. So when I say it's about cash flow, it doesn't mean it's about the same exact cash flow as today. It's about distilling down the expenses you have today into what those will look like in retirement and having the cash flow to support that. So again, James, a listener, it looks like he's already done this because his income today is 265, but he's assuming that he only needs to live on $80,000 per year in retirement. Now, one thing that he may need to do is, well, not may need to do, he will need to do is factor in taxes, not just federal, but state. Today, he lives in Texas. He mentioned Arkansas. Now, Arkansas, when you look at it, it's going to have slightly different taxes than Texas will. If you look at it, for example, Social Security will be totally exempt from state income taxes. That's no different than Texas because Texas doesn't have a state income tax. Arkansas does have a state income tax, but does offer a deduction of $6,000 for any types of retirement income, like a pension or an IRA. So the first $6,000 from an IRA or first $6,000 from a pension, not subject to those taxes. Now, I don't mention this so that you can become an expert in Arkansas tax law as much as if you're planning to retire to a different state, make sure that you understand what does that look like for your social security benefit? What does that look like for state income taxes? What does that look like for dividends and interest? What does that look like for property taxes? What does that look like for other types of deductions of is your pension or IRA distributions taxable? Every state is a little different, so that's going to help to determine your expenses in retirement. So if you're following along with your own specific situation, again, number one, start with your expenses for this particular question. Easy enough. James gave us the answer and James said he wants to live on 80,000 per year in retirement. The next piece is income. How are you going to meet those expenses? Again, I know there's much more to it than that, but for a second, we're setting aside taxes. We're setting aside estate planning. We're setting aside withdrawal strategies. We're setting aside all those other things that go into this to see what are the two main pillars. So the next question for James and his spouse is what income sources will you have when you retire? If we know we need to live on 80,000 per year, how are we going to generate that 80,000 per year? Well, what I always like to do is I always like to start with non-portfolio income. Again, people look at the 80,000 per year or whatever their number is, and they might even get intimidated with that of saying, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money I need to be able to have in my portfolio to generate that 80,000 per year forever. Well, the good news is it's not all dependent on your portfolio to generate that level of income, at least for the overwhelming majority of people. In this case for James, James listener, let's assume that Social Security is his only income sources. There's not enough information in the question to fully understand what income sources he'll have, whether it's a pension, whether he ever plans to have another piece of real estate that will generate income. To keep it simple, let's assume it's just Social Security. Now, obviously, the amount that you get from Social Security is going to fully depend upon when you collect. You can collect as soon as age 62, or you could collect as late as age 70, and your benefit's going to be different based upon what time you collect. Now, they both do have a healthy income. We know that. I don't know how long they've had a healthy income, but the reason I even mention that is your social security benefit is based upon your highest 35 years of inflation-adjusted earnings. Here's an example of that. In 2022, the wage base for social security is $147,000 
Meaning, once you have income that exceeds $147,000, you stop paying social security taxes that are 6.2% of that. It's one component of payroll taxes. The other component is the Medicare portion. But after 147, you stop paying social security taxes. And people say, well, why is it that you get to stop paying social security taxes as your income goes up? Well, it's because your social security benefit is also capped. So there's a cap on how much you can earn, and that earning is based upon how much you pay into the system, and so both are capped. Well, today, the maximum benefit, and by today I mean in 2022, the maximum benefit you can collect from Social Security at your full retirement age, which for most people listening is going to be between 66 and 67, is $3,345. That benefit goes up if you wait till 70. That benefit drops if you collect before full retirement age, but that's the max benefit. So with James's income of $180,000, he'll fully hit the Social Security cap this year. His first $147,000 of income, he'll pay Social Security taxes. The next $33,000 of income, he won't pay any Social Security taxes. But once he hits that cap, he's maxed out one more year of earnings. Let's assume he's hit that cap for a second for 35 years by the time he retires. That doesn't mean his income has been $180,000 every year. What it means is it's been enough to hit the inflation-adjusted cap every single year. And this year, the cap is one forty-seven. But each subsequent year or each prior year, the base was lower. For example, if we look back 10 years ago in 2012, the Social Security wage base was $110,100. So if we assume just very simply that every year James has hit that cap, or not even every year, but his highest 35 years of earnings by the time he retires, he would get $3,345 per month in today's dollars. So each year that will go up a little bit with inflation, but that's the way the benefit works. To keep it simple for this example, and because I don't know his income, and I don't know his work history, I don't know how much longer he'll be working, let's assume that based upon his income, his benefit's 3000 and let's assume based upon his wife's income, hers is $2,000. So as we're looking at that, that is absolutely not probably perfectly accurate, but because I don't know the details, I'm just going to make this assumption so that we can continue playing out this example. Well, in this example, if James has 3000 and his wife has 2000 that's 5000 per month, which is 60000 per year. So here's the amazing thing, 60000 per year, assuming they wait until full retirement age to collect, of course, and full retirement age to also retire, that covers a big portion of the $80,000 per year they want to live on. Now, I get a lot of feedback from people on YouTube videos when I say stuff like this because they say, well, wait a minute, that $80,000 is today. What about inflation? Well, they're exactly right. That 80000 will actually be a lot higher by the time James retires, assuming he's not at retirement age yet, but so will Social Security. The Social Security benefit that you're looking at, so that $3,000 per month, as inflation goes up, that will go up with it. It probably won't go up perfectly in alignment with inflation, and I actually like to plan for Social Security going up a little less than inflation, but it's going to be fairly close. So when people look at this and say, well, wait a minute, the analysis is all off, just keep in mind that that Social Security benefit is also adjusting for inflation, even if you're not adding any more dollars into the Social Security system to increase your benefit, inflation will take that higher. So in this particular example, that $80,000 per year of expenses would certainly be higher by the time the retirement starts, but so would the actual Social Security benefit, so it'd be offset fairly proportionately. If today 75% of James and his wife's income is covered by Social Security, so $60,000 per year coming in from Social Security, $80,000 of expenses, 60 divided by 80, 75%. So if we assume 75% is covered today, we can assume maybe 70 to 75% of it will be covered by the time that they retire. Again, this has to do with their ages and how far out that is, which I don't actually know. But anyways, Social Security covers a part, the rest that needs to come from the portfolio. 
So that's the first lever of income or the first layer of income. Again, we started with expenses. We know those are 80,000 per year. Now the second component is where will the income come from to meet that? Well, we know part of it is going to come from social security, but it's not going to fully cover everything. So the next part is understanding what other assets do James and his spouse have and what type of income can that create? Well, the other assets they have is broadly based. They have retirement accounts and they have real estate. Let's start with real estate. So real estate, the asset itself is not going to generate income unless you do something with it. Now you can either rent it out, in which case you're translating that asset value into current income, or you can sell it. Now, obviously there's other things you can refinance it. There's other kind of planning techniques, but at a simple level, you can either rent it to generate income or you can sell it to generate liquid cash that you can then create income from. For James and his spouse, it sounds like they're going to sell it and they're going to walk away at least based upon what they're saying here, with about $500,000 net. So $500,000 from the sale of their property, I'm going to set that aside for a second and come right back to it, because the next thing James says is he mentioned that he's going to then move into the current rental property, that's worth $750,000, and maybe sell it after living in it two years. Well, my question there is, will you use the equity from selling and move into another property that becomes your primary residence? If so, we're not going to treat that as an income source. It's just going to be the place that you live. Still an asset value, but again, unless you're charging rent for it or selling it, you're not really living on that asset value. So in this case, I'm guessing that asset value is going to be their primary residence where they just live. Or will they use that equity to downsize into another property? So they still get to live in it, but they have some money left over to live on or invest or whatever it might be. So there's some questions there, but for the time being, I'm going to assume that they do move into the property, the rental property today that's worth $750. They live in there a couple years, sell it, and then use the proceeds to buy something else. Now, do keep in mind one thing, that the capital gains exclusion that you're talking about, James, so the $500,000 for a married couple, if you've lived in a home for two out of five years, that exclusion, it will definitely apply to the capital gains on your property. So say you bought this property for 500 and now it's 750. So you could exclude that 250 of gains if you meet the requirement by living there for two to five years. What it won't count against is depreciation recapture. So as you have a rental property, when you're generating income on your tax return, you're also depreciating that property. That property or the depreciation is based upon the value of the building. So not the land you have, but the value of the building each year you're depreciating some portion of that. And when you sell, assuming you don't exchange it, you have depreciation recapture that you pay taxes on. And that part is not subject to be wiped out by the capital gains exclusion. So essentially to keep it simple, when you sell a property, part of it will be depreciation recapture that you pay taxes on. Part of it will be capital gains that you pay taxes on. The capital gains exclusion is only relevant or only applicable to the portion of the sale that's counted towards capital gains not to depreciation recapture. So just a quick side note on that. So back to their overall situation now. If we're assuming that of the real estate they have today, that's going to turn into 500000 in some type of liquid cash or liquid investment, but the rest is going to stay as some type of residence or some type of home to live in, we can now look at their situation and say they have $1 million in assets as of today, or not necessarily as of today, but as of the time that they sell that property, which is 400000 in traditional IRA, 100000 in a Roth IRA, 500000 from the sale of a property. The question is, how do you turn that into income? How much income can a million dollars in assets create for you? Well, to do that or to understand that, you have to understand withdrawal rates. We've talked a bunch on this podcast about the 4% rule, and that's a great place to start, but it's going to leave some money on the table. We've talked about the Guyton's guardrails approach, where we talk about if you do things and structure things appropriately, you can take out something more like 5.5% per year as a starting point 
And if we use that here, and again, this doesn't mean that you can be invested however you want and get 5.5% per year, but if you're invested the right way, a million dollars, roughly speaking, could generate about 55000 per year before taxes. So that's today. If we just assume that James and his wife are at retirement age today, and they could collect Social Security today and turn this million dollars in assets into income today, well, between Social Security of 60000 per year and portfolio withdrawals of 55000 per year, that's $115,000 that they could create, which should be more than enough to meet the $80,000 that they want to live on. Now, that was probably a gross oversimplification. I have no idea how old James is. If he's 67 already, then maybe this is feasible. If he's 50, though, well, then he's not eligible for Social Security for at a minimum of 12 years. And even at that point, he probably doesn't want to collect or he may not want to collect. So if we're looking at this, let's assume he has a million dollars today, but no Social Security. Well, if he retired, he could create 55000 per year, but that's not enough to meet the 80. So you see there's still a couple of variables here. It's not just how much can your portfolio can create, but it's the timing of its ability to create that. And it's the timing of can that supplement other income sources like Social Security and understanding when that comes into play. So again, there's not enough information to fully do this analysis today. But what I will say is the goal of going through that exercise, it really comes down to one thing. It comes down to understanding how much do you need to invest today to be on track to generate that level of portfolio income by the time that you retire. So if you can't hit that level of income, let's assume that you're going through this analysis on your own and you're saying, oh my gosh, my expenses are here, my portfolio today is here, and even if I keep doing my savings and investing and get some average rate of return, I'm just not going to be able to meet it. Well, understand that there's levers that you can pull. If you work longer, for example, that helps because working longer means you have to or you can invest less and you can get away with investing less because you'll have more time for your investments to compound and grow. Or you can work longer because working longer means investing less because social security will grow and more incomes coming from those non-portfolio income sources, which means less needs to come from your portfolio. So your portfolio can be smaller. Or on the other hand, maybe you're ahead of schedule and you can actually retire early. So maybe you're ahead of schedule, but you don't want to retire early. Well, then you can spend more. Or maybe you're ahead of schedule and you don't want to retire early or spend more. Well, maybe you can invest less today so you have more money to enjoy life now. So as you start to clarify what's needed for the future, it's going to help you to make those important decisions today. And again, the two pillars here are going to be what are your expenses in retirement? What income sources in retirement can you generate? And once you know what those income sources need to look like, then you can work backwards to say how much do you need to invest today or what do you need to do today to be on track to generate a portfolio size that can generate to the level of income that you need to meet your expenses in retirement. So I hope that's helpful. I know that planning your retirement can be so overwhelming, and I find it's helpful to start from the fundamentals and then build on from there. I recognize that there's a ton that we did not even touch upon today, but people try to do too much at once. They try to get their taxes in order and their income in order and their investments in order and their social security strategy and Medicare. And when they try to do everything all at once, they just get overwhelmed and they give up. So what this shows is this shows where can you start, understand what your first principles are, and then build on from there. But if you don't have this foundation of understanding what your expenses will be in retirement and where your income will come from to generate that, everything else might be done in vain. So James, thank you very much for that question. I think that was a good question to show the simplicity of the best place to start, even in spite of the many different variables that you have to focus on. If you're listening and you have a question, go to readyforretirement.co, submit your question. We'd love to have the opportunity to answer in a future episode. 
And again, if you haven't done so already, please leave a review and please share this episode or any episode you think might be helpful with a friend, coworker, someone you know that you think is preparing for retirement and could use some guidance to get there. So with that being said, thank you as always for listening and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.